Hey everybody, welcome back to my podcast. Welcome to Stories with Bree. I'm super excited about my guest today. Her name is Kiara Charles. Actually, put some respect on your name. Arthur Kiara Charles. I got my book. Yes, so we get to talk about your book. We were just saying before I pressed record, I said, I haven't talked to you in forever, seem like. Mm -hmm. And we both were talking about how it does take us a minute to kind of like take a step back from life and from being busy and working all the time and being like, you all right, sis? You, how your life doing? How's life treating you? So I feel you, Um, but it's okay. <laughs> we doing well, but I, I'm in for a treat, yeah. Oh, so, so let's um if you want to introduce yourself you want to say something about what you do and for a living and then also on top of introducing you yourself as an author feel free to do that now and then we'll jump right into the icebreakers sure so my name is Kiara Charles as Bree said I'm a little nervous this is oh, interesting <laughs> interesting um and yeah, so I work as a mental health therapist full time. So that's actually um, what I do from a professional standpoint and creatively. I write poetry. I just started dabbling in some spoken word. Yeah. So I just started dabbling in kind of performing some of my work, which is a new area for me. Um, but yes, I'm the author of Loud Whispers, a book of poems and pictures. And this is my first um, published work, and I'm excited to be talking to the publisher <laughs> of this project. So I like to look at Bria's, she birthed this. She helped me bring this vision to life. So it's this is a really special moment for me, for her and I to just kind of one-on-one talk about it and reflect on like what this process was like for us yes, I'm really like a reflection low-key for <laughs> us because um this will be year two can you believe it in december this book would have been out for two years and that was a time putting loud whispers together um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thoroughly enjoyed your writing. Um, it was such an honor to work with you as an author. It was just like to see other people's creative processes and like how they go about writing things and how they go about navigating and being on the other side of that and helping to kind of like, um, I guess, organize those thoughts and be like, oh, this looks really good. And to just go through the process with you about how you want to do your organization and things of that mm -hmm. nature, which we can dive into that conversation yeah. a little bit more, but how you would just wanted things organized and laid out. And it was just a whole thing. It was fun. But mm -hmm. before we get too deep into it, I want to ask you these icebreakers because these are the questions that I ask everybody when they come on, just to help the audience get to know you a little bit better. So my okay. first question is, if you can remember, what was your favorite childhood book? Oh, the Invisible Man. Really? I remember reading, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I remember it was a pretty advanced chapter book. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I was stuck on that book, man. And I kept on telling my mama, I remember saying, I feel like it's so much more here, but I'm missing the point. <laughs> I remember telling her that. I'm like, I know it's, it's deep, mama, but I'm missing the point. You know, why is he invisible and, you know, and all of this stuff. And yeah, that book still, it still is something I think about, actually. Yeah, it's a kind of a reference point for me. 
absolutely and it's probably part of the reason why you're a therapist now <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense I was there like, oh. is. you know what's interesting nobody has has mentioned that book uh and like you said that was an advanced that is an advanced book for I was a reader as a child <laughs> That's something in, Invisible Man is not introduced to you until like later on in high school, sometimes in college. I think the first time I read it was probably in college. Oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I own several copies of that book, actually. Mm-hmm. But it, it wasn't, I don't think I read it until college. I'm pretty sure I was supposed to read it at some point in high school, but I don't remember doing it. But that's yeah. interesting. Okay, Invisible Man. And yeah. so do you have a library card? Oh, do I have a library card? I don't believe so. I had one at one point. I'm um, I'm from Centralville, Illinois. Mm-hmm. So we had the Cali Boyd Center out here. That was our library. Mm-hmm. It's closed down now, unfortunately. I have fantasies of opening that center back up because it's such a big part of my childhood. Um, but I remember having a library card through them. And of course, I had one through the East St. Louis Public Library. But no, I don't think I have a lot. I don't have a library card. I'm going to need you to renew your library card. Is yeah. your library? <laughs> I haven't even thought about that, Britt. That's a really good question. Absolutely. I, I, I you know hope what? you renew. I think you're a part of Cahokia Heights now. So you can yeah. go to the library card with Cahokia, which is so weird to even. Ah! It's so weird to say, but <laughs> I gotta adjust. Right. I gotta get used to change. No worries over here. So y'all, for, for folks watching, and Britt already knows this, she's very familiar with Noir. This is my pup. This is Noir. And so if you hear rustling and tussling in the back, this is this guy. He just kind of doing his thing. And I think that because, um, you know, he's been at home all day solo while I've been at work. This is just his time to blow off things. So. That's all right. Hey, furfew. <laughs> Look. <laughs> That's what you hear. So. Baby, you done got all so right, big. Yeah, right. He's grown. He's grown. Wow. He's grown. Mm-hmm. So, um, for you, digital or pen and paper? Oh, I'm a pen and pad girl. All day long, I love to just write. I love the process of writing. I get excited when I see like clean paper or I get a smooth pen that write good. It just make me, it just get me in the mood. I know. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Mostly everybody that has come on has said pen and paper, so I'm not surprised. I'm not. I don't know what it is about that, but yeah, it's like something about the OG writers. We like our pen and pad. It's just cathartic and it's, mm-hmm. it's a release that comes with it. And um, as I've been telling my other guests that I'd really just got into journaling and I know in therapy, they re- recommend that a lot to mm-hmm. just kind of clear your mind and get things out. And I've been doing that really not as consistent as I probably should, but for the last maybe two to three years, I've been journaling and I have been finding, uh, finding a lot of release in literally Ooh. physically writing on paper something about it. the um short stories that I actually a couple short stories and poems that I did a couple a little while back I don't for some reason I just felt the urge to write physically mm-hmm. write and mm-hmm. I wrote all of it out on paper and it was just like wow I ain't did this since like grade school right? <laughs> this, this is fun uh yeah. it was definitely nostalgic but I'm more of a digital person like as you know my notes app is popping on my phone I got so much stuff going on over there I was like I already told my one of my male best friends I said when I pass away 
you got the password re- reset my whole phone <laughs> just that's something to think about i never even thought of thought about that and we're kind of like in this digital age now where we're having to communicate that to our loved ones and being like yo when i pass like i need you to like be in charge of how this information gets don't even think twice about it don't you look don't go snooping don't be right. destroy destroy <laughs> put it all down clear the cloud out yeah. <laughs> that's so funny yeah. so, um, who's your favorite author or writer oh so I don't know so I'll be honest I, I think that a part of me going through undergrad and then going through graduate school really stripped away the joy of, of reading for for leisure right mm-hmm. so I really have kind of been disconnected from 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 reading and it's something that I'm wanting to get back into reading for the purpose of like leisure rather than you know reading is a big part of my job research is a big part of the profession um and I'm reading intriguing stuff of course this is you know psychological concepts and theories and stuff like that but um so I'm I just want to go back to some of my fondest memories. And I feel like when I really was able to have that experience of reading that you want to have, where it's like you're imagining how the characters look and you're like wondering like how they feel. Yes. And I got to say, it was Sister Soldier (laughs) and Sister Soldier's book, The Coldest Winter Ever. Of course. (laughs) Of course. And that's a legendary staple, I feel like. It's something mm-hmm. about that, me being a teenager, a Black girl, and kind of just being able to relate and being able to build a world yeah. around what she was, like, conveying. Mm-hmm. And so I kept up with her. I, I read Coldest Winter Ever, and then I went into Midnight. She did right after country. And I love that that's format. Midnight. And you know what's so interesting, Britt? I was always curious about Midnight. So, of course, we have our main character, Winter. And I'm into Winter, of course. But something about Midnight was alluring. I'm like, what is his history? What's his story? What does he think about? And the fact that Sister Soldier kind of knew that I wanted to know. (laughs) And it was like she established this whole addition just around Midnight and his history and you know him being an immigrant and i was like oh this is what i wanted like i was curious about him and i and so that yeah, format yeah. of her like breaking down the characters and giving them their own space yeah. to actually have their own conscience and let us know like this is why i moved the way i moved i thought that was so dope like i agree and she did i think she has one for the sister as well she only gave her one book but um yes and I love Midnight series and Mm -hmm. Midnight actually grew into a character of his own I think he has three books and I I read all I believe I've read two of the three I need to go back and read the last one but I Mm -hmm. really enjoyed that and I agree with you that that was a character that I was very curious about that I wanted to know more about and I I like the fact that he was mysterious and then we can get into some about some of your your poems when you think of Mr. Cognac I think Mm -hmm. of Midnight (laughs) (laughs) reminds me of that when you think about that but yeah 
uh, we used to pass the coders whenever around like cigarettes on the yard. You and heard that- me? <laughs> it was like a cult classic. Like it was yeah. like it was so embedded in the culture. Like Absolutely. yeah, um, man, I really do. Yeah, I would say that that was just that's some of my fondest memories. I don't know if that's my favorite author, but definitely. I light up when I think about that moment when I really, I think I really understood the power of language and like, oh, you can do this. You can like take people on a journey and develop like this attachment mm-hmm. where it's like, I'm attached to midnight. I want to know what happens next. I want to know, you know. And so, um, yeah, man, that, that's some powerful writing. Absolutely. And that's me all the way when it comes to writing, um, when it comes to reading, when it comes to writing. Um, I definitely think that you should check out uh, Bookstagram, uh, that hashtag on Instagram. That might mm. be inspired to start back reading for leisure. Like you said, you desire to do that. And um, that is right now my form of escapism, as we like to call it. Um, but I've always been like, like you, I've always actually been an avid reader. I've always been interested in stories, interested in the breakdown of stories, interested in books in ways that other people might not traditionally be interested in books because I was that person that was checking the title verso, that was looking at how the book was put together. That was look, I, yeah. I've been doing that all my life. So of course it naturally I would end up where I am. Yes, <laughs> but, that's what I'm thinking. Um, I've been, I've been doing that my entire life and I've always been very much so I find myself getting like engulfed in the story. Mm-hmm. And um, once I get engulfed and, and engaged in that story, it's hard for me to I have to pull myself out of that world. I have to remind myself that these ain't real people. <laughs> this is a story. Like, stop getting so emotionally involved here. Wow. But I felt um, transitioning into your story and transitioning into your book. I got those same or similar feelings when I would start reading your poetry. I mm-hmm. felt like you created pictures. You created um, a space to where you could see it on the page. And there are several poems throughout this book. First off, Loud Whispers is a work of art all around. Um, shout out to Sarah Connolly for all of the artwork that's in here. And there is some beautiful, except for the, you know, the pictures, but there's some beautiful illustrations in here. Like when I remember when I saw this and I said, wait a minute, that's you. <laughs> that's you. She did that. And I was like, fearful less. I didn't know that I needed to be that. <laughs> and so I remember going through this process with you and you and just building this work of art, literally this body of literature. And I, I told you that this was one of my favorites. Um, and I was just like, to see the pictures and to see your words match so well together. And I was just like, I could have never thought. I could have never thought. And so talk about that. Well, how do you, I, I know I'm putting all my praise in it, but how do you feel about the book as, as an author, as the person who literally put the words on the page? And then now you see this artwork that actually like matches what your thoughts was. How was you feeling when that happened? Man, I'm still amazed at this book. I really am. Um, I still go back and look and just be like, man, like I couldn't, you know how you, you know what you want. You have an idea. And I did know, I said, man, there's something about it that's making me want to 
like see this written out and then also see it somehow depicted through through art right. and I'm not an artist I'm not you know I'm not a drawer I don't paint I don't you know do things like that so I'm like man like like how do you do this so I have the concept the question is like I, I have no idea what it looks like though you know and so me being able to kind of let go of my desire to control things, which I've I've had that issue since I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's when Sarah came into the picture, and my conversations with her in the beginning stages, when I'm trying to let her know, kind of here's what I'm thinking, here's like I'm envisioning my words, and then like an art piece on the other side, and she's like, well, you know, like give me some direction, and she's asking very good questions and honestly I was like I got no direction for you I want like creative freedom I really want you to whatever inspires you whatever that organic raw reaction is mm -hmm. to what I'm saying I want that like I, I want to see that depicted and Sarah is a friend of mine that's a personal friend of mine also she she was a colleague that's how we met so we met in the professional world and then I I, I realized her creativity and we we kind of clicked I was like oh wait yeah. and um and, and what happened was you know we have personal conversations in the midst of this book as well okay so that organic raw emotion that came out in the artwork yes is inspired by my words mm -hmm. but also it's very much inspired by where Sarah was in her life at that time that's so good and so it's kind of like we got this like through this I'm able to like give Sarah a space to express I agree and that kind of goes back to the whispers piece. Like, it's like, there's things in this book that are very loud and in your face and they're clear. They're clear cut. I'm not, I'm not missing words around what I'm talking about. No, yeah. Then there's elements of it that are more subtle, mm -hmm. more like in the, you know, in like it's in the process yeah. that we kind of get to the root of you know what this you know what's really happening here so I would say that that's kind of those are some things that I'm like really most proud of yeah. and like I was able to also tap into some some stuff she had going on and you know and it kind of became this nice little infusion I agree you know because you're you're right you do <laughs> you did not make mince words at all and I remember when we were going through the process and you were like you know Britt I, I I understand what your business is about I understand you know what the type of person that you are I understand your lifestyle I respect all of that and things of that nature I'm I want to work with you but I want to know if my content is I guess what you're trying to say it was like a little too raunchy or if it was too expressive and I remember yeah. having that conversation with you and I was like what <laughs> you know and you know and um of course naturally because I'm a pretty private person and I, I'm open to an extent about my life but everybody don't know all my business so it was like yeah you know I, I know what you are I know what's the front facing who you are as a person but as we dive deeper it's like mm -hmm. I, I only know you from afar but 
what are like how can we work together still how are we going to work around this and I was just like you're good <laughs> like yeah. we're, we're cool like we're cool and I and I was just like you know just send me some examples and then when you send over the examples I was like oh this just looks like somebody that's just <laughs> expressing who they are and expressing themselves and honestly, honest, I feel like you gave me more courage to be more open and more um honest about just emotional things that I was feeling uh I found myself because normally I don't write a lot of poetry I've never been someone that just always wrote poetry poetry has always been a mood writing type thing for me Mm -hmm. and mostly it came out when I was angry (laughs) for me poetry always came out when I was experiencing really extreme emotions right and Mm -hmm. so but going through helping you with your book and then also helping you know Tangela and helping Dominique while I was helping put you guys's books together words were just coming out of me words were just flowing and I felt like it was during that period where I was really working with you where I felt all the the poetic license to just really say what I wanted to say and express myself and in your book, you have three different sections. You have love, sex, and romance. Like out the gate, you're like, we about to get into this. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I really appreciated it because um, on, that, on that page, you say love for you, love for me, feeling myself, feeling F-I-L-L-I-N-G myself. <laughs> Let's go on a love journey. And I was like, oh, she ready. <laughs> like she, she ready to go in. And then as soon as you turn the page, it's like, bam, in your face. Why did you think that that was so important to, to promote like sex positivity, body positivity, love and romance? Why did you think that that was important to, to just get out the way right out the gate? Right. I love that you said just get it out the way because, I, you know, okay, twofold. So in reality, right, I think... Um, this was a a very vulnerable process for me and I'm also very private and there's also certain expectations involved in me being a therapist right and so um there's this just like how we would think of teachers or I'm sure in your field as well it's like you wouldn't think we have sex or we you know have relationships or whatever it's like that it's almost like we're not human it's like no I'm definitely all the way human yeah um and so a part so I understood the risk I understood Mm -hmm. okay this is me just like I could stay behind this veil of you know oh you know I you know I don't I don't dabble in that stuff or that's that's what happens behind closed doors I could stay behind that veil or I could just come out the gate with it and be like yeah this is what we're here to do Right. And I, you know, and I started off um, even prior to jumping into the three sections, my first piece is here. Yeah. And in that piece, and that's on the very, you know, that's before we even jump into sectioning off and talk about love, sex, and romance. I, I basically um, asked the audience, I asked the readers to just be here with me. So I'm already asking for some grace i'm asking for them to validate that i'm just i'm just a human doing human stuff and so that's why i wanted to start it was kind of like a moment where i'm like yo we finna go on a bit of a journey and it feels risky for me and i say in here 
I say, so as you continue to read or listen, be patient, be human, just be here. And so that's prior to me jumping in because I knew where I was going to go. I knew what I was going to do and I was scared. And so here is me saying, I'm scared. I want to, I just want y'all to be with me. Just be here. Don't even judge me, you know? Yeah. And then, and then I said that it's twofold because honestly, I know that that's what people want to hear. People want to, like, they kind of want to get that. They want to get some of that, like, you know, and and I mean, you got to look at the, I think the cover kind of speaks to an element of sensuality. It's red in color. I just think it's kind of like, yeah, we, yeah, yeah, we finna go here. So when you saw the cover and you thought, oh, I wonder if it's, yes, it is. We're already there. You know? (laughs) Yeah. 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 The cover in itself, this woman silhouette. This piece, like I said, that's why I said it's a work of art because it really is. And um, I definitely need to talk to Sarah, but it's just like she, her idea, her thought process, and her just looking at your pieces and being like, boom, this is mm-hmm. what I see. And it all kind of just worked well together. And I remember when you sent it over, I was like, yo, <laughs> yeah. this is it. I have never in my life seen something Mm. so beautiful, so amazing. And it was just, it was like it after I had, and I think you sent the cover after I had already read everything in the book and all of that stuff. And then when I saw the cover, I was like, this is perfect. And it's almost like we, at the very beginning, all three of us together had already decided this. And that what's crazy is like, no, (laughs) no. It, but it, just these, it just came together. Came these together. three women, these three BIPOC women coming together to create something that literally is going to be long lasting, that's literally going to live beyond us. Right. Um, you never know. Your book might show up in a women's studies class at some point mm. in time. And it's just like beautiful to see because this is something that when you walk into a traditional bookstore, if you see this, you're like, oh, this doesn't look like it's something that's been self-published. This doesn't look like something that somebody did on their own, but you did. (laughs) And I remember even going through that process with you proving to you, like, you can do this, like you can do this on your own. And so then we move right along into, you have another section called Black is Enough. And you say the divine, the beauty inside, the culture, the truth, the pain. Now, there are so many poems inside this section that I love. Like, a successful Black woman is one of my favorites. That's my favorite. Living Color, one of my favorites. Um, I think Backdated is here, one of my favorites. And then um, then we move on. I think, I think that next one is in Origin. Nope, that's in Black and... Let me make sure I want to. Yeah, that's an origin. So it's uh, oh, so the last section is origin, y'all. I'm talking under my breath, but <laughs> the last section is origin. But inside of black is enough. First off, why black is enough? Why that title? Why did you pick that as the sub as the heading for this part of the the book? And why did you feel did, was there um, a rhyme or a reason for why you put it centered it directly in the middle? Or did you just, it's like, oh, you know, I'm just going to do one, two, three, boom, boom, boom. Or was there a specific reason why it was like, this needs to be dead center. This needs to be in the middle. Um, this is the centerpiece 
this is where I want you to sit for a while because I feel like this is a section that also has a significant amount of poetry that goes into it as well yeah so please talk to us about that yes thank you for asking that question too about the ordering because that that's another important piece that I feel like can be taken for granted or people just see it as something that's happenstance and it's like no it's very intentional mm-hmm. um I don't know if you remember Britt but you 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 helped me name black is enough you helped me name that section okay that yeah that's you we were processing through um you know I knew that I wanted a black oriented section I knew I would be talking about what you know the experience of being black and being a black woman specifically um but I I don't think I was at a place where I I, like how do I name this you know Mm -hmm. and you help me so I think that it was through us sifting through all of this and processing you know the the struggles in our community and kind of the struggles that we come up up against as black women where I wanted to figure out the perfect way to say it and I think I remember you saying black is enough like we don't really have to like it doesn't we don't have right to explain it away and I was like oh I love that like black is enough like and I and I think it it has a dual meaning Mm -hmm. where it's like black is enough meaning I'm worthy I don't have to be you know you know uh, what's the saying that like we got to be two times better than the next person and got to work two times harder and it's like me being able to say no black like I'm enough you know the way I show up in the room is enough I don't have to dress it up I don't have to make it look pretty or make it look a certain way this is what it is yes. but on the other hand I liked how you worded it in that context where you were like no, no no black is enough like we don't have to like make people get it and I think that that was my whole struggle with this book where I was so worried if people would get it mm-hmm. I was constantly questioning like well, it's poetry. Not everybody's in the poetry. Yeah. Do I need to be more like expansive on why I wrote this the way I wrote it? Or what, you know, do I have to make people get it? And so for me to be able to settle on this saying, no, black is enough. And you know, that's just kind of like where where we are. It was such a relief. It was like pressure was was lifted. Yeah. And it also was like, let the pieces speak for themselves. Absolutely. The pieces gonna speak for themselves. And they do. And, so, they and they do. do. Well. These are some of the heavy and that and, and you also asked about like why is it in the middle? It's kind of like I wanted. So in therapy, we do this thing called a bell curve. So you have sessions with people where you want to do a bit of a bell curve. So you're starting out the session and it's, how was your week? You know, um, and, and it's very low level. And we're talking about what we ate for breakfast or what the weather is like that week or very low level. And then eventually we reach the climax of the session where there's crying and there's trauma processing and there's grief being talked about in, you know, in depth. And then my job as your therapist, as your provider, as much as I can, is to try to bring you back down and have you regulated again by the end of that session. Enough That's so good. That's to so where good. I can be like, all right, Briz done with her session today and I, I can trust that she'll be all right this week, right? So I did my bell curve thing. And that's the same thing with this book. So we start off love, sex, and romance, right? There's some heavy stuff in there, but it's kind of our creep up. 
then we start talking about black, you know, blackness, and we start talking about police brutality and 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 how I feel as a black woman and how I don't feel understood. And there's also some some themes in here around abuse, and there are some themes in here around, you know, um, shoot, I mean, downright the depression, yeah. you know, um, or be struggling with my femininity. So like these really heavy hitting topics and that's kind of that that's that top of that bell curve it is these are the topics that make me the most uncomfortable and may make my my audience most uncomfortable and then we get into origin where i where i'm starting to try to regulate us again yeah yeah i agree um and that's a oh that was a great explanation and a great uh illustration because i you know Kiara, I say stuff all the time. I'm going to be quite honest. <laughs> I say stuff all the time and it's up for people and up for even myself to catch it. And I don't realize that I've said something maybe that's impactful or, or brilliant. Um, I, as my uh, grandmother said, I'm not that smart. You know, it takes Holy Spirit to kind of help me uh, <laughs> to get things done. And, and that's not to, you know, diminish my own intelligence or anything. That's just to be quite honest, like, the spirit speaks through me and then things just come up or in that moment when you were talking I probably maybe if I got a little frustrated or maybe I was trying to motivate you to be like <laughs> you don't have to explain away your existence you don't have to explain every little intricate piece of you mm -hmm. you can just be you you can just do you like and be okay with that and I think I explored that theme a lot in my own book where I say in the interlude, I go as deep or as shallow as I choose, as I choose to. Mm -hmm. And it's either up for you to take what it is that I'm laying before you for interpretation or leave it. And one of my favorite sayings that I've grew up, grown up hearing is take what you can from the table and lead the rest. And so I feel like when you say black is enough, we are. And like you said, we are like, we don't have to try to compete or compare mm -hmm. we're here we're it's evident that we're here we're fully aware of our greatness we're fully aware of the pay, the part that we play in this history no matter how you try to explain it away you can't explain it away because there is no america without black people mm -hmm. period there is i repeat it there is no america without black people no. it was built on the backs of black people now whether we want to acknowledge that or not that's your problem to deal with but the fact of the matter is the reality the history of that thing is is that this country was built on the back of slaves period and so yes your black is enough and so yes it's important that we put that out in the forefront especially now during the times where book banning is happening and where we're trying to 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 navigate through hardships where we have a black woman trying to become the supreme court justice and she's being asked asinine questions <laughs> you know and they're literally trying to get her to explain her blackness exactly. and so your um your book of poetry specifically like i uh, like i said there are so many pieces in this specific section we can actually go to successful black woman since we brung up miss kontaji we can go to successful black woman and i love the fact that you say um 
so many things in here. He says, try, this, it starts off and says, trials and tribulations add to the many head cases I plead to be dismissed. And so let's talk about that. Let's talk about even the artwork on the other side to be fearful less. Like, what does that mean for you to be fearful less? And then what did this specific piece mean to have it in this, in this work of art, in this section? What did that mean? Why did you, what was your process going through that? Why did you think it was necessary to understand that as a black woman, I can be successful and there we are out here and we have things that we deal with, that we struggle with. Please tell us. Yes. You know, Brie, this is actually one of my favorite pieces in the book. So I'm so happy that you're like honing in on this one. And I, I think even more now, so I turned 30, January 25th. I turned 30 and you know how it is you well, know that. your 30s baby <laughs> 30 for some reason it's like the expect like like the bar raises and mm -hmm. I'm the same you know I'm the, the same girl I was on. it's like wait a minute and so this idea of being a successful black woman is something that I feel like is always like put in my face and I'm always having to like gauge whether or not like am I measuring up to that mm -hmm. and I you know um you know this idea of being fearful less I really have been growing more comfortable with the soft parts of me so that has been tough Ooh, that's good Ooh. it's you know, it, it's like... I don't want to have that conversation, Kier. Because, <laughs> yeah. like, I really was, um, you know, and I have poems in here about my mother and my father and the dynamic there. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, for a while, like, I was raised, during, especially during my teen years, yeah. by my father. Yeah. And a lot of the very good advice that he gave me had to do, you know, of course, it's coming from a masculine perspective, and it has to do with like, hey, like you got to take care of yourself out here. Like it's those very strong qualities that I have and that I show up with and I benefit from, and yeah. I'll never take those away. Yeah. But I didn't get the other side. I didn't hear it's okay for you to think that you love that little boy that that you think that you love but you're not gonna love him in a few years but you think you love him now and that's okay yeah. like I was never told that that was okay or you know to you know to like be down in the dumps and you know just really be grappling with my emotions as a young woman trying to figure everything out it was just like automatically whether this was you know whether this was due to my father's ignorance or whatever it was like, hey, we ain't got time for that. Like, you got you got a good life. Um, you know, you're you're safe, you're protected. You got a lot more than these other girls out here in the hood, guy. So you good. What you got your head down for? Like, it was just instantly like snap out of it. Yes. And so it's taken me much later in life to really start appreciating the feminine qualities, those soft parts, the vulnerability, the fear, right? So I'm talking about be fearful less because it's like, we don't got to extinguish fear. We don't have to completely extinguish these, you know, feelings that are very real and true to, to where we are. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't have to completely get rid of it, but there are times where I've just got to, 
be a little less fearful and I got to step into the light and whatever, you know, whatever is calling on me. And so that was the significance around fearful less. It was like, instead of me saying fearless, which means you got no fear. I'm like, no, like I can keep some fear in there. I can keep some, like some of that in there. That's okay. Um, As long as I can like titrate it, you know, and, and like mess with it a little bit when I need to. So that's the fearful less. And then, you know, I love this line. Honestly, I think it, it's a bar if I was a rapper. But it's like when I say trials and tribulations add to the many head cases, I plead to be dismissed, right? So I'm talking about it like in terms of like this court setting. And it's funny because I work in the court system now as a therapist. But I'm talking about it in terms of like this court setting, trials and tribulations. So I'm encountering these challenges across life that are really contributing to my head cases, you know, cases as in, you know, court cases, Mm -hmm. Um, but cases like me, like really having some mental struggles, some mental issues, and I'm pleading for them to be dismissed. I just want them to be gone. Right. And it's like, for me, that that's what a successful black woman does. Like she kind of feels those strong emotions bubble up and then she gets rid of them instantly and it was through this through me writing this that I was like I said in here I said um I said today I will say on my own that I'm terrified of being alone so it's like (laughs) it's me confessing I'm confessing it hard exterior that I put up for as long as you know me no today I'm gonna just say it like I don't want to be alone I don't want to be lonely this stuff hurts you know and it's like um so successful black woman is me like you know really calling out society and saying like y'all have put this measuring stick on us that ain't even realistic hello and I'm saying good goodbye with it. I can be a successful black woman once I'm whole. Yes. You know, and it's like, you know, that's what that's about. Yeah, it's getting rid of that that strong black woman trope. Mm-hmm. It's really get rid of that. And for the last four years and actively and being accessible to therapy and being in therapy, immersed in therapy, I actually need to make an um, appointment to see my therapist now. Um, so I have to, yeah, I have to make one um, because I'm a little bit overdue and we have some things to talk about. But to, mm-hmm. to, to have that conversation in, in the last year, the last year, year and a half, what you just said acknowledging the softer sides of my emotions or the softer sides of me and my femininity because although my parents like I have a kind of strained relationship well not well not anymore because I choose to have a better relationship with my parents now as an adult um but when I had a strained relationship with them and when my dad was coming in and was doing parenting same thing he was teaching me from the masculine male perspective be a go-getter be aggressive do what you have to do these men these boys whatever could wait if they if they ain't trying to get on your page say goodbye stay focused all of these different things and that has benefited me Mm -hmm. for a very long time until it doesn't Mm -hmm. 
Right. <laughs> and so then, <laughs> exactly. And so you get to this point in your life and you're super successful mm-hmm. professionally, but personally and emotionally, you became, mm-hmm. you're depleted, you're falling apart. And you have to try to figure out and you have to have these conversations with yourself like, where did I drop the ball? Where did I go wrong? And I'm in the process of having some of those conversations again with myself now as I prepare to write this second book, which is going to be, I cannot, (laughs) as I prepare to write this second book and having conversations with myself about mistakes that I have made Mm -hmm. and romantic relationships. And where I dropped the ball and where I wasn't emotionally available, where I thought that I was ready. But then when I got out there and I started kind of like dipping my toe in, I started tapping around the area with my foot and it was like, oh, this is not sturdy (laughs) and and I don't feel safe or secure here. Mm -hmm. And like you, but then I still have this, I'm a little fearful less because I'm okay with being alone because I've been with alone by myself and I'm kind of still learning myself. But then it's kind of like the, I don't want to be, I don't, I don't want to be by myself. I actually desire to have companionship, but I don't desire to have emotional manipulation. I don't desire to have to necessarily work hard Mm -hmm. to get the results, to yield the results. I don't feel like at this point in my life now at 31, be 32 this year, where I should have to overexert myself and work hard for you to love me. I feel like your love should come easy. It should come free flowing because that's how mine is coming. Because I've reached a point of wholeness. I've reached a point of health in my life where I shouldn't have to literally cry myself to sleep. I shouldn't have to have these tears. I shouldn't have to be picking myself up off the shower floor or out of a, a heap just to say that I'm connected and I have someone. And so it goes into that conversation of learning how to be emotionally mature enough to set more boundaries with myself and also recognize where I might need to do extra healing. Mm -hmm. And so that, that is one of my favorite poems as well. And this just turned into a whole therapy session <laughs> but but I it's it. real man I'm, I'm right where you are and something about what you just said I really do love Brit because when my dad was was telling me some legitimate stuff and he was speaking from what he knows about me and as a man exactly it was it, it was this either or it yeah. was like if you be in love you're gonna be hurt it was like there was no like no gray area there was like, there's no good men. You know, I was like, I never got that. So I'm just like, I'm thinking, oh, well, love, like I, I can't accept love and I can't give it, right? And it's like, it, like that brought me so much, so many challenges in so many different ways yeah. because honestly, I was going against my nature. Yes. I mean, my nature is not to not give love and not to receive it. That's mm-hmm. not what. That's not, that's not in our nature. Our nature is, uh, as we've been created beings, we've been created to be in community. We've been created to love. We've been created to pour out. We've been created to be in relationship. And so when we are in these long periods of isolation and loneliness, we're actually going against our nature. Mm-hmm. And then life situations happen too. 
and that causes us to be closed off and I love um what my pastor says um he says that we should have up gates and not walls because a wall means that you can't get anything in you can't get anything out but when you build a fence that has a gate attached to it that means that you can see and you can let things go in you can let things come out free flowing I love it too it's like it's free flowing it's and then as I continue to grow up, as I continue to acknowledge the fact that, oh, I was never really properly trained on how to be in relationships in general. Because mm-hmm. when you think about it, friendships are relationships too. Yeah. And so learning how to be a good friend and then having to evaluate myself to be like, okay, if I was on the other side, if, 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 if I was me, would I date me? Would I want to be in a relationship with me? And then having to acknowledge those real feelings and be like, there are some things about myself that I don't really necessarily like that could be adjusted. Mm-hmm. And then understanding that there will never be a perfect person. That's it. I have this list. You have these lists. You have mm-hmm. these things that you write down. And there are some non-negotiables. I do believe that there are. But then there are some things that are some gray areas because it's like, you ain't perfect. Exactly. <laughs> So why are you expecting this person mm-hmm. to show up and to be everything that you desire to be? And that's coming, that's not coming from a healed place. That's still coming from an emotionally damaged right. or our hurt, our hurt place and having to understand that. And as I continue to navigate through my 30s, navigating through my 30s is also helping me to forgive my parents and forgive my the people that I love because it was like, is this what y'all was dealing with mm. at this age that y'all was hiding from us that you weren't being emotionally available talking about oh these are the experiences that you were happening having oh this is why you have substance abuse yeah. issues and this is why you suppress those emotions this is how you start to see patterns and mm-hmm. then when those things start to show up in your own life and it, yeah. it's transitioning us into origin. So when that, that starts, those things start to transition and come you up in your own life. such a good life. interview with Britt. <laughs> Thank you. The way you just did that, I'm like, wait. Listen, and like when those things come up though, and I live, I, it, it flowed, it just flowed. It's like, <laughs> that was dope. it shows up in your life and you be like, oh, oh, that's the root of that. And so it's funny that I just thought about it's like origin, the roots of which I grew. There will be no me without you. I am your fruit. First though, before we even get into the poems for real, like Kiki, come on now. (laughs) I was like, I think when I first read that and now reading it over again, I'm like, wait, that just cut deep for this time. And I was like, this girl, what? Yes. And so there are two poems in here in this origin section that Mm -hmm. I hold dear. And I think I hold them so dear because they are very close. There are a couple things in here that I love, but I think I hold these two dear particularly because they're very close to my similar um, situation. And that's the one about, I love the one you talk about your dad. And you say, people say, yeah, that's the one about your father. But then you have the one about, about your mom as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that one is realize. Yeah. Realize 
was so emotionally taxing for me. <laughs> I, I know it was for you because you wrote it, but realize was so emotionally taxing for me. And I was like, I'm going to need all these women around me to get away from me because I'm going to need y'all all not to have these same issues with y'all mama. <laughs> need y'all not. And you were so raw, honest, and, and like emotionally present in this poem and I was like just go away from me Kier go away from me and I think we talked about this poem before but really talk about how you felt when you had to write these two poems about your parents because they're distinctively different but they're still very beautiful in in the sense because realize it's almost like I don't want to give it away you tell them tell tell the people where I don't want to I don't want to put my interpretation on <laughs> tell the people what realize is about for you this is the one this poem makes me cry um and talking about the process of this poem so because you my girl I'm gonna give you like an exclusive backdrop <laughs> so but those so poems in this book are and I say it you know me and Britt made sure to make it clear that these this is a compilation of poems that I've written up across my years mm -hmm. so the poems in here are not exactly new um some of them are Mr. Cognac is a new one <laughs> that's a newer part of my life I had to purchase the book to read Mr. <laughs> <laughs> but um but but a lot of them are a lot of them are poems that I wrote when I was in the thick of these different parts of my life, and so realize it's actually kind of a it was a dis it was a dis poem yeah. to a guy that my mom was dating at the time, mm -hmm. and he was he wasn't a good guy. My mom doesn't um, typically you know her choices in men, you know, it's something that her and I always tend to, yeah. I always turn my head like this and be like, mama, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so it was her birthday, I think. I, I'm pretty sure it was her birthday. Or oh, Mother's Day. It okay. was Mother's Day. And I wrote her this poem, realized, and I typed it up. I put it in a frame for her and she still has it. She has it hanging up on her wall in her, in her house. And um, it was a diss poem to him. So he was there at the time and I read it out loud. And it was to him, it was about him. So, but you're right. Like the, the hard part about writing this poem, even at that time and even reading it back. And I promise you, I was thinking about, I was reflecting on my book earlier this week. I knew we would be doing this. And I was like, if I could go back, I don't know if I would put real lives in the book. Really? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Hmm. And it's not that I regret it, but I wonder if I would do it again. It's not, I don't, I don't know. Hmm. It's such a it's such it's such a heavy one. Um and so in this poem, I'm really speaking to my mom, being her cheerleader and letting her know that she's great. She's wonderful. I'm trying to remind her that I want her to realize that. And so that's why I keep on saying it. And um, I say, mama, you have so much beauty inside of you. The world sees it. Why can't you? Only give your time to who deserves it. Only give affection to who has earned it. This is woman to woman in the midst of daughter to mother. 
So I had reached a point where I had to remind her now just what you were just talking about, Britt, where it's like, I'm grown now and I get it in a way that I didn't get it before. I didn't get it when I was younger and looking at, you know, wondering why my mom is making decisions that not only hurt her, but because I'm her child, it hurts me too. I'm kind of caught up in the in the cycle of it all as well. Yeah. And so when I put that in there, this is woman to woman in the midst of daughter to mother. So we are, I, I am your child, but I'm also a woman who now has had a lot of experiences. So the level of which I'm able to speak to her now is from a place of compassion and understanding rather than Ooh. me feeling slighted, me feeling like, what you know me being judgmental you know all of those really heavy feelings I held on to as a young girl who didn't quite get it Mm -hmm. um then I was able to to tell her like no I get it now I I see and I've done a lot of the same stuff right so now realizes me saying "Uh uh-uh like and, and really through talking to her, I'm talking to myself. You know, I'm 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 telling myself, Kiara, you need to realize that like you you the bomb and you don't have to downplay yourself or minimize yourself for no man. That's so this book took on a, I mean, this poem took on a whole new meaning. And I think it will continue to take on a new meaning. As you develop, yeah. As I develop, the more I go back and read it, I'm like, oh, this is about me. Um, and then at the end, I you know, I signed it with my nickname, the nickname that she gave me, which is Brad. So um, that's another thing about this book where it's like, I, that's the whispers part. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. that's me giving even more insight into like the personal and vulnerable parts. Cause not, no, people don't call me Brad, you know, but that's the name she gave me and still calls me to this day. And so for me to put that in there was a big deal for me because I knew she would read that and know that I wouldn't be talking to nobody else but her, you know. So it's it's a deep one. That's a deep one for me, for sure. And then when you mix in our dynamic of having some points of separation in our lives and kind of estrangement, to be honest, uh, where a lot of time went by that I, I didn't talk to her. Um, it, it, I just think it adds to the level of intensity of like, whoo, like, you know, and I, I was like, I could, you know, when I think about my decision around putting this in here, I couldn't not be honest. Mm-hmm. about the complicated nature of her and I's relationship but I wanted to make sure that I was communicating that I love my mother regardless and that nobody walked away from this poem like oh her and her mama is not you know good like I wanted them to know like you know sounds like they got some rocky moments but overall she loved her mama you know and I love that about and I think that's why it cuts so deep for me, because that, yeah, I relate, and I relate in a way that's very similar to what, you know, what you're saying, because, of course, go pick up my book, too, Confessions of a Young Adult's Wife, yes. we'll find out about that, um, about some of those dynamics, and I'm actually planning to deep dive more into that conversation as I start Ooh. writing, and that's so courageous, it, <laughs> listen, 
I gotta find it. I gotta find the courage. I gotta find the strength. I actually started writing um a another exclusive in this episode. I actually started writing an open letter to my mom mm. that I plan to include. And I know that it's gonna be like people gonna be like, uh-uh. <laughs> like and and it's actually gonna be called Dear Mama. And um mm. And it's going to be based off of, of course, you know, the song by Tupac, which is Dear mm-hmm. Mama. And it's an essay. And so it's going to, that's what the name of the essay is going to be. It's going to be Dear Mama. Wow. Very interesting. Because for the first time in my life ever, since I've lived here, and in, in general, not even just since I've lived here, since ever, ever in my life. And it happened while, while being separated and living here. I had, I think it was in either two, not 2019 or 2020. It might have been 2020 during the close to the beginning of the pandemic. I had a three hour, four hour conversation with my mom. Mm. I have never in my life talked to my mother in any capacity for that long. Wow. Ever. I have never. And we have not had that a long conversation like that since, but never in my life. And that was something for me. And I think it was something for her too. But it, like you said earlier, we reached a point where we were literally just like, we were having a moment and it was just like, I have a deeper respect, understanding and fondness for you now. Yes. as a 30 some 28 something whatever age I was at the time year old woman mm-hmm. and I've ever because now I get it and now I, I realize it. now I understand realize yes you it, know what Brea, I, I want to add something else and this is going back to us talking about the successful black woman and the um and our fathers kind of telling us to stay away from those soft, soft parts of ourselves I also realized that femininity was a trigger for me because of my relationship with my mom. You in my business. You in my business. You in my house. I'm going to need you to come from out. <laughs> Get out. When I, when I tell you when that fell on me, because, you know, we say things like, oh, I, I, don't, I don't need no female friends or I, or I get along with guys better or whatever, mm-hmm. right? And we still hear that type of language to this day. And I used to say stuff like that. Like, for some reason, me and guys just click, but me and girls. Always, always. And it's like, hmm. So it hit me. It fell on me. I said, oh, no. Mommy. I'm avoiding that. Yeah. That that energy scares me. It doesn't feel safe. It feels weak. It feels fragile. It feels unstable. Mm-hmm. It feels like it will abandon me. Yeah. It feels, you know, it's just, it's just all of those parts of having that motherly attachment and what that's supposed to mean and what it's actually looked like for me. I, you know, I, I just kind of built my whole life and my whole existence mm-hmm. around shunning those parts of myself. Yeah. And I think in the line, part of the line, and I don't know if it's not something that I wrote down, I'm going to write it down. One of the things I said, I believe, as I prepared to 
to write this letter, I said, I believe that I said that you're one of the only people and the only things I refuse to talk about in therapy. Me too. Because it brings me to tears. To tears. Instantly. And and it's like, I know I have to talk about this at some point because I have to give myself this release. But to even acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. like it goes back into that avoidance because yeah. you you don't know what you might uncover when you start trying to deep dive into those areas mm-hmm. but then also recognizing that there is a, a a piece a point of healing that has to go into that that needs to happen in order for you to move forward in other spaces mm-hmm. and in order for you to break free yeah. and give yourself the grace mm-hmm. that you need for one day when you may have children or whatever and you want to give your daughter an extension of a grace that you found that you gave into your mother because the things that we don't uncover the things that we don't talk about the things that we don't heal from are the things that we're bound to repeat Mm -hmm. so recognizing and understanding that Mm -hmm. it's just like okay yeah we're going to deal with that. And, and it's not something that stops. It's something that's a, and um, I know we get, we, we're well past our hour, but that's okay. That's <laughs> what we do. That's what we it's do. That's what we do. And it's just something that's um, forgiveness for your parents and hurt like that. That's a recurring cycle. It's not mm. something, it's a recurring cycle of grief for me that I constantly find myself every day, every time something might come up, that's an insecurity or every time something might come up that I'm just, I'm unaware that I didn't get taught, that I didn't know. It's a constant cycle for me of constantly, 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 constantly forgiving. And it brings me back to that scripture where now I understand what that scripture meant that says when the disciples asked Jesus, um, how many times shall we forgive people? Three times or, or seven times because he thought he was being generous. And then Jesus said 70 times seven. And that 70 times seven doesn't mean that you should be counting up to that number. But what it literally means is that there should be a constant flow where you're constantly forgiving someone. You're constantly giving people grace because the same way you give those people grace is what you also need. Yes. And within the last two and a half years, especially going through a whole pandemic, I have realized just how much grace I've needed and how much grace I have to give to other people, and then how much grace I have to give to myself. Because mm-hmm. this period of time really forced us to look at ourselves and look at our lives in a way that now I was already doing this examination, but there was a deeper examination that had to happen when I was forced into an even more isolated period. Yeah. Because I was already isolated. But then when we were forced to stay home and I could not leave, there was a deeper period of isolation that I was forced into. It was almost like a um, a hibernation that I was forced into that I really had to start examining and dealing with myself about why I do the things that I do. And last year for sure was a, and when it came to romantic relationships, it really was a, why am I doing this? Why am I, why am I now allowing myself this? And even when it was to the point where I was in a therapy session where my therapist said, I can see you, I'm seeing you right now. And you are literally 
not allowing yourself an emotional response. You are literally not allowing yourself a release. She's like, I'm watching you. You are literally preventing yourself from releasing your emotions. And, and I was like, because, and she was like, this is a safe space for you. Why are you stopping yourself in this space? She had to give me permission. Yes. And she, and I never knew that I needed someone else to do that, but she had to give me permission to cry. She's like, this is a safe space. This is a place where you can release. And she's like, you've been doing that for a very long time because it, it looks natural. Mm-hmm. Very and I was like, yes, I, I don't give myself that. For the first time in my life that um, I think last year was the first time I've ever really truly deeply like gut-wrenchingly cried in front of a friend. Mm. Never. And to have that vulnerable moment like that made Uh me angry because Uh I couldn't control it. (laughs) So it's just, and that goes into these origins because friends become family. Yeah. Our family. Yeah, that's, I got village in here. Yes, that's the And it's like, when I think of village and I open with village, I think, yeah, village is my first one. Mm -hmm. And it's like, with village that's exactly what i wanted to touch on i wanted to touch on um as far as origin goes i talk about ancestors in here i talk about you know where you know history i say my my bloodline is rich and thick and so it's like this is not just what we see in the physical form this is not just the family that is related by blood this is like like the village that that literally like keeps me going right and it's like the village that's like and we've been talking about communication and reaching out to people and it's like you are a part of my village Britt. like that's the reason why we can get together and we can go over an hour long in, in conversation or we can just vibe like this and it's like that's you know that's the connections that we have like and when I think of us walking through this world I think of us with like all of these arms all of these like connections and yarn or whatever it is that's like just tying us together all the time we're with each other I can reach out to you at any point and I know that for a fact you know and it's like that's my village Mm -hmm. and as much as I can remind myself of that because I always feel alone I always feel like nobody would understand or I'm bothering people as much as I can remember that my village is they out here and they're they're in all different parts of the world and I can talk to them whether I'm talking to them in a physical form or in the spirit I can like I can tap into my village and my source when I need to and so it's like um that's something that I'm constantly working on constantly having to remind myself that Carrie you're not alone out here you know and it's like man I'm so grateful for y'all I really am I'm grateful for you too and that's another thing I'm actually going to deep dive into because I feel like I I didn't deep dive into any of my college, my collegiate years or any of that in my first book. And that's something else that I'm going to talk about. Actually, it's talk about, it's going to be called What About Your Friends, I believe. that That's a loosely based title. Don't quote me on mm. that. Don't, don't hold me to it. But it's going to be an essay specifically talking about friendships because mm-hmm. I feel like I've never 
because although I love my friends and stuff like that, there is also pain that comes with that as well. And acknowledging that pain and acknowledging also the goodness that comes out of, you know, creating lifelong friendships and relationships. And then also acknowledging my parts in the points where friendships may have fell apart. And it was probably my fault. And more than likely, there have been moments where it has been my fault, Mm -hmm. you know, and acknowledging how I have played a part in those demise and acknowledging how my reservations and reserve and my need to, uh, to, to preserve and to, to save, secure myself, how I've pushed people away instead of drawing them closer. And so having those conversations and village is also one of my favorites, but we are coming to, I feel like a really natural, because we'll be here all night messing with you. Right. So we're coming to a natural close. But before we leave, I really, I believe this is one that is exclusive to the paperback eulogy. Mm. Read that, because that's one of my favorites as well. And it ends, it kind of ends off. I believe this one is exclusive to the book. This may not be this one. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, eulogy yeah. is the one that's exclusive to to the Piper Bag. Please read eulogy. Let's end off with this because sure. it's a very powerful poem, and briefly explain why you wrote. It's basically like a living will inside your own book and then I just want to say to everyone thank you first off thank you Kiara for being here thank Thank you everybody for watching this has been an amazing episode I'm sure we're gonna get lots of love because you have a whole village literally you got an army behind you (laughs) of support but please yes read eulogy and then explain to me why this was important too and then we'll we'll close it out yeah yeah eulogy is is actually it's it's like a it's one of my darker poems right like i i've had moments in my life as i think a lot of us do where i have fantasized about not existing not necessarily dying or ending my life but just not existing just not having to be Um, And I wondered about that a lot. So I wanted to make sure that I was honest about even as a therapist, even as somebody who tries to put my best face on. um, I've absolutely had moments where I was just like, oh, I just kind of hope tomorrow doesn't come, you know, and and just have thought about death and and what that would be like. Mm -hmm. And so um, that was that vulnerable moment again. Where I was just like, okay, just kind of put it out there, Kiara. But then also I wanted to, to really dive into kind of like from an aerial view, like of like, okay, when you think about um, passing or just like not existing in like a present form or like not being actually present, like what do you see? What do you observe? So I talk about my community. I talk about like how I see us out here just trying to make it through the next day. And it's kind of like, although I'm like not wanting to exist, I'm also watching the people around me, even in their existence, just not be alive, like not be fully alive either. So it's just, it's just kind of those moments where, um, where you feel a connection where you're kind of like everybody's kind of on this same page yeah where we're not exactly happy but we're pushing through yeah and so um i 
I am going to read it. And then I got a part in here that I want to like, just kind of break down what I meant by it. And then we'll okay. All right. So eulogy. And when I pass, I hope to leave behind an energy in this world that one cannot miss. I hope to have displayed strength. Strength to the point where you feel empowered by walking into where I once laid my head when I'm dead. I don't want speakers at my funeral talking about all the fictitious shit that I used to do. I want them to remember me in my usual, drowned from head to toe in my own mess, taking my struggle and stride day by day, faults and all, but still going strong, guilt and all, but still going strong, regret and all, but still going strong. I want them to speak of my home, a city, of beautiful ruins, East St. Louis, where murders are as common as conversations, where criminal activities are used as blankets, blankets that warm the cold soul of a boy in the city of Lone. I want them to speak of disappointment. I want them to speak of painful parades band members dressed in black from head to toe and drill sergeants struggling to let go. Speak of sympathy when you remember me. Tell people how selfish I could be and how at times I thought of forgetting each and every one of you. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> yes, eulogy is powerful eulogy is powerful. and it's definitely raw emotion mm -hmm. like super raw emotion mm -hmm. but please explain the part that you want to explain and yeah. why you wrote it the way you did so in general eulogy is really me i battled this um desire to want to appear to be perfect and to want to have control over my image and to control the way that people perceive me so in here you know how when you go to funerals and people are like oh she was like she would give her last to somebody and Kiara never she never frowned and Kiara never talked about nobody bad or you know it's like I say in here please don't talk about all of the fictitious shit that I used to do <laughs> tell them about me and my usual like just just be real like Kiara was something else y'all you know like do that so, so that's so that's what that's about is me really, really trying to shed from the inside out, trying to shed. And you was talking about journaling earlier and how writing it down actually helps you make it real, like it's there now. And that's what this is, is me saying, Kiara, you got to stop trying to show up as if this girl, like you this girl that got it all together, like throw that away because it's killing you. Like it's really making me sad. You need to do away with that. But there's a part in here where I say, um, I say, I want them to speak of painful parades, band members dressed in black from head to toe, and drill sergeants struggling to let go. So 
the painful parades, right? I was thinking about the marches. I was thinking about Black Lives Matter protests. I was thinking about seas of people that's like leading this charge. That's the painful parade, right? Mm -hmm. But also I talked about band members dressed in black from head to toe. So these are our foot soldiers. These are our folks out here that we label as thugs. These are the ones that we want to throw away. But these are our, our foot soldiers. They're like, like they're like our band members that's keeping keeping the community thriving. They're out here. They're the ones that when you drive into work, you see them out there chopping it up in the morning, right? They on the corner. They, you know, it's early in the morning. What are y'all doing out here? Who knows? But they're out there and they're talking. They're the life in the community that we see. So these are our band members dressed in black from head to toe. And our drill sergeants who are struggling to let go are our elders. These are our elders. These are our folks who, you know, they're that generation that's like not trusting us. So they're, they're struggling to let go. They don't trust us to carry forth the traditions or to do right or, you know, so they're struggling to let go. They on their last. And it's like, they haven't passed that baton. Yeah. So this is what I'm seeing, right? This is like, you know, the dynamic that's, that's happening in my community and around me. And so I just feel like I wrote that in such a poetic way that I wanted to be uh, just more clear about who I was talking about. Cause I talk about East St. Louis specifically and so those are the the folks within our community that um that I'm referencing in eulogy. That's so good. That was so good. So so good. Thank you all for sticking in with us. This has been a lovely, lovely conversation. Um, many more to come, I'm sure. Um, a little birdie told me that you might have a joint project coming out with someone else that we had on here. Nikki got a gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me and Nikki got a gun we gonna collaborate we gonna do something really soon I'm super excited about that and yeah. I'm super excited to read it and to see it so yeah. yes I will be on the lookout you all for that collaboration two dynamic dynamic black women coming together <laughs> with very powerful words to say oh this is gonna be lovely I can't <laughs> wait to see it but thank you all for watching. As always, it has been wonderful. It has been beautiful. Thank you, Kiara, for being here. Thank you. And we'll see you all back here next week.